Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you so much for being with me today. I can hardly wait to spend time with you. I hope your day is going well. We're already midweek. It's already Wednesday, so you know what today is. It's Salvation Series. We're doing that on Wednesdays. That's going to be an hour two. Let me work backwards, and then Pastor Adam Weber is going to be joining me. But first up is David Wheaton. And when I think of the book of Genesis, it covers a probably the, the longest span of history more than any other book in the Bible. And David's been tackling it now for, I bet, five or six months, and I'm loving this. We're, uh, I think we're through about 18 or 19 chapters. I think we're going to step into chapter 20 today. But I'm just loving this series, and I hope you are too. I'm, I have a feeling you are. David is uh, a radio host, a author, a former professional tennis player, and all-around exceptionally great guy. And he's uh, on our studio line right now. David, welcome. Hey, good afternoon, Bill. Great to be with you today. Yeah, I, I love it. So I can hardly wait to get back into this study on Genesis. You're just uh, doing a great job on this, and I'm loving it, and I know our listeners are because I hear from them. And I'd love to jump into, uh, again, why the book of Genesis is most relevant for today. I know we it, talked about Genesis 18 and 19 last time, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'd love to just touch base yeah. on the key point of that. Yeah, well, just a a little review, and there's so much in the book of Genesis that's so relevant from the very beginning with the creation of the world and the the major institutions that God established of male, female, and marriage, and you define all those things that we debate today. It's just amazing, you know, 6,000 years later, we're still talking about these things that God established right at the very beginning, and we're just pulling out a point or two from each chapter, so this isn't some overly deep study, but there's so many just obvious things that pop off the page age that are relevant for us today. And you mentioned this this judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course, we everyone sort of knows about Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the cities that were very wicked. They were marked by homosexuality back in the time of Abraham. And uh, in Genesis 19, the last time we, we spoke, Bill, uh, we have these three men, so-called men, coming to visit Abraham. Now, Abraham wasn't living in Sodom and Gomorrah, that is where his nephew Lot went to live. Remember, there was a yes. choice. Mm-hmm. Their, their herds got too big for each other, and Abraham, the uncle, uh, sort of defers to his nephew and says, you know, we're, we're too big for each other now. There's not enough grazing land for all our our sheep and animals. Uh, you pick where you want to go. If you go east, I'll stay west, and vice versa. So Lot looks over to the east and looks down into the plain of the Jordan Valley, uh, where the Jordan River is, and sees the cities of Sodom, Gomorrah, and other cities along that's well watered, it's green, and so he chooses to go that direction. It was it was self-serving. It was the better place to go if you have flocks. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, n- now, meanwhile, Abraham stays back to the west, and these men come to visit Abraham. And these men aren't actually men. Uh, they are two angels, and the Bible says the Lord came to actually visit him, and he recognizes right away these are not normal men, and he immediately starts entertaining them, and they come with a twofold purpose. They come to repeat the promise that they've that God has made to Abraham now for literally almost 25 years 
that you're going to have a son. Remember, he and his wife, uh, Sarah, were barren. Mm -hmm. They had no children. You're going to have a son, and through that son, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you seed, lots of descendants, and you're going to be blessed by all the nations of the world. And, and, and they naturally, after years and years go by, and they're past childbearing age now, they begin to doubt. And Abraham, of course, you know, tries to have, uh, you know, figure out his own way to do this. He, he has a child with uh, the, the, the maid of his wife, Sarah Hagar, and Ishmael is born. But that's not God's plan. That doesn't work out well. And so now, even further on, these men come to visit, and they repeat again this promise that there's going to be a son coming in about a year from now. And this time, Sarah, who's kind of behind them in a tent, laughs. Like, this is getting to be ridiculous. I mean, 25 years now, I'm 90 years old, Abraham's 100. Really? This is not going to work. And so this is kind of the last time that, that God comes and tells them this. And, and by the way, we'll get into this today. Isaac is born the next year. So then, then just to finish up this review— is, of course, then there's the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is just a horrific scene, of course, where these two angels go into Sodom and you know, to see what's going on there, as, as if God doesn't know, but to see what's going on there. Lot sees them, has them come into his house. The, the men of Sodom surround the house. They want to be with these men sexually. It's a very, very sordid scene. Uh, the angels blind these men, trying to grope their way into the house, and eventually— God has a lot in his wife and his two daughters leave, and he destroys these cities of the plain. And it, it's just a horrific scene and really foreshadowing the judgment of the, the heaven the, of the earth in the future someday uh, when God brings all of, the, all of the world history to a culmination and judges the world. Nice recap, David. That, uh, <laughs> a little long. But... No, no, no. It's, it's, just, it's, uh, it's so hard to— uh, here sometimes, um, but it's not hard to understand that God's uh, judgment is what it is, and that's what we learn from this. Yeah, you have to remember that God is perfectly holy. He right. is the, the the sovereign king of the universe, okay? He, he started it all, and he ends it all, and so our sin against him is not trivial. Uh, our sin against him is treason, and, you know, treason against a king uh, results in death, and so, actually, in this midst of Sodom, you actually see God's grace, his, his mercy toward this. Toward the end of Genesis 19, you see it says, Abraham uh, looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. I mean, you can just imagine what that looked like as literally fire and brimstone came down for God to execute judgment on these cities of the plain. But then the next verse says, that God remembered Abraham, and he sent Lot out of the midst of this overthrow, when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. In other words, there's God acting graciously and mercifully to some uh, in the midst of his judgment. And what a way to end a chapter that's just known for judgment. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to uh, God's grace. And how is God's grace shown, David, in the midst of all this judgment? Well, it's, it's really the application for us is, you know, we're all sinners. We all deserve right. judgment from God as well. And so the application for us is, yeah, someone may be listening today, think of my own life. Maybe you're thinking of your own life, Bill, and realizing how much you've sinned against God. The mm -hmm. Bible says we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We've earned it. Like you earn wages, you earn judgment through our sinfulness. And, and yet, 
God's grace giving us what we don't deserve and his mercy not giving us what we do deserve is always there for us. So no matter what kind of life we lived and no matter how sinful we think we've been, and we have been probably as sinful and probably more so than we even think we have, you know, line yourself up against the Ten Commandments sometime, uh, make, makes us realize that, boy, God is an incredibly merciful, gracious God in the midst of my own sinfulness that he would send his perfect son, Jesus, to come to earth, live a perfect life so he could be the perfect substitutionary sacrifice for my sin. I wouldn't have to die on the cross. Jesus died in my place. And by the way, that wasn't just just sort of a meaningless act by Jesus. It actually satisfied God's wrath and his justice and his judgment, which he showed to Sodom and Gomorrah. It satisfied it so that God can God can be vindicated and say, I can be just by sending my son Jesus to die for your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. He took the penalty on himself, so you don't have to. And when we repent of our sin and put our faith in what Jesus did in the cross for us, that's what the Bible says. That's how we're saved. That's how we're made right with God. And he promises to forgive us and give us eternal life and have the judgment go on Christ and not on us. Yeah, it's fantastic. That's the gospel. It's good news. That is the gospel, and we're talking about that in hour two. So this is a perfect um, uh, lead into that. All right, let's get on to some of the difficult, tricky things like um, Abraham that he kept lying that Sarah was his sister. What's up with that? Well, several weeks ago, we talked about this when they went first went down to Egypt. So they, they right. came into the land. Israel, the Jews, didn't have occupation of the land then. They didn't own anything. Abraham was kind of the first one in there. They're just residing there. They go into Egypt, and Abraham is concerned about going into a, a foreign land now because Sarah is very beautiful. And at the time, you know, culturally, customarily, you know, when, when a king or pharaoh would see a beautiful woman, it was, it wasn't, there was no option there. You, the woman was brought into the harem. And so Abraham's nervous about that. So 25 years earlier, he said to Sarah, when we go there, just please, please tell whoever would listen that you're my sister, not my wife, because what they're going to do is they're going to take you into the harem and they're going to kill me uh, <laughs> because I'm the husband. Mm-hmm. But he had done this a long time ago. God was not honored by this. And, and, and now 25 years later, after the after the the judgment of Sodom, they move. They move south, uh, and they settle into this town called Gerar, where there's a king there named Abimelech. And, and Abraham, 25 years later, does the exact same thing. He goes there and says to Sarah again, again, please tell the king or whoever asks that you're my sister, lies, and not my wife. Well, what happens there is Abimelech does what those kings typically did. He t- sees Sarah's beauty, takes her into the harem. But fortunately, God intervenes here, and, and God tells Abimelech in a dream in the middle of the night, he says, don't touch the woman or you die, basically. And he, Abimelech, of course, is immediately terrified and finds out and, and, and says the next day to Abraham, why have you done this to me? And Abraham responds, responds the way we shouldn't respond when we're fearful in life. He says, because I thought, surely there is no fear of God in this town, and they will kill me because of my wife, because she actually is my sister, <laughs> the daughter of my father. She was a half-sister to Abraham. But, and the answer to this is, Abraham, the man of faith who we've been talking about for weeks, you know, believed God and was reckoned to him for righteousness. He's in the, the hall of faith in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews in the New Testament. Abraham doesn't trust God here, just like we don't trust God when we perceive that we're in danger. 
It's like when we're in a conversation with someone or maybe at the office and when we're kind of vague about what we believe, we were not very precise about, yeah, we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. Or when we hear something that we know needs to be corrected, said that something that's so biblically wrong or blasphemous, and we just kind of keep silent, we fear because of some consequences that might come our way. And this is the same thing Abraham did. We don't criticize him for it. I mean, we, we do the same thing. It's just that it shouldn't have been done, and it was a poor testimony, not only to his own large family and the servants, but also to those of the kingdom of Abimelech. Yeah. David, let me take a little break. David Wheaton is my guest. He is uh, at the Christian worldview.org. You can head over there as always. We'll take a break and we'll continue our discussion on Genesis in just a minute. I'm back with David Wheaton. We're talking about the book of Genesis and how it is so relevant for today. And I, uh, David, I think of, of Abraham and his incredible responsiveness to God. I mean, God basically said at, or to Abraham, I'm going to, I'm going to send you out. And he said, okay, where? God says, well, I'll tell you later. Just go. You know, mm-hmm. there's always this obedience. And later God says, I'll give you land. And, and Abraham says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wander. <laughs> you know, and then I'll give it, you a child. And, and he says, how? We're old. God says, we'll tell you later, just wait. Yeah. His whole life is is one of just, again, that verse back in Genesis 15, Abraham believed God. Yes. And it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. And, and there's the relevance for us today. If only we would just believe God. Uh, yes. God has written written down in his word everything we need to know for life and godliness. If we would just believe God, um, we, we, would, we would be in a much better state uh, not only individually, by the way, but but nationally as a country. If we would just believe God and just follow His way, uh, we would be in a much better state than the the great division and conflict and the outright ungodliness and sinfulness we see in our land today. Right. Now I want to talk about Isaac a little bit later in in this interview. But I also, you know, had God and Abraham with this discussion, and and God says, you know, I want you to sacrifice your child, and he's thinking, why? Yeah, and yet he has to trust God as they're going to to the sacrifice. It's it's amazing. But before we get there, I want to go back to just briefly right before the break. We were talking about Abraham. You know, kept lying that Sarah was his sister. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if we did we finish up everything there. Can we move on, or did you have another thought? I, I, I think we did. Okay. I think we can go into Genesis twenty-one and let's do that, Isaac. Then. Yeah, Isaac being finally born. And it's interesting. It starts out, so Genesis 21 starts out to sort of matter of fact. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Believe God. He had promised this. He didn't say when, but he had promised this. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. In other words, it happened. Yeah, all this consternation, everything going on for all these years and worry and doubt and everything else, it's not going to happen and laughing and so forth. Well, uh, Sarah had a son. They had, they had a son together. His name was Isaac. Okay, so it, it did come true. It was 25 years later, right. but they should have believed God in the first place. And again, the relevance to, for today is we need to believe God. But almost immediately after the 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 son Isaac is born, they finally have the son of the promise 
contention starts in the family again. You remember when when Hagar became pregnant with Ishmael, mm-hmm. that uh, Hagar began to despise Sarah. Well, the same thing happens again now with Hagar's son Ishmael. He begins to mock Isaac. Now, Ishmael's 17 years old now, and it creates such a problem in the family that Hagar and Ishmael are, God tells them, Sarah gets very upset about this, and, and God tells Abraham to, to cast out um, uh, Hagar and Ishmael. I mean, it's a horrible situation, and it just goes to the point that the non-nuclear family, those arrangements never work well. And we, we see that in society now, even with a group like Black Lives Matter, who has on their website, we're against the nuclear family. And this is not a racial statement, it's just that's what they have on their website, and, and that's that's against what God intended. And we see back in the time of Abraham, they had a, a non-nuclear family going on with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, and then Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael, and it didn't work. It didn't work well at all. Matter of fact, it went into terrible conflict, and it went out. But God still had a plan for Ishmael, by the way. There were, he came from Abraham, so there'd be a great nation, the Arabic people that came from Ishmael. So God always has this, this good news, even in the midst of conflict, how he can turn bad things, difficult things, con- conflicting things into things that are beautiful. Yeah. So what happened to Hagar? Let's go back to her being cast out. Well, Hagar was cast out originally because she started to dis- despise Sarah after mm-hmm. she became pregnant. She she was the maid, and she started to dislike Sarah for some reason after she became pregnant. Maybe she got a little too high perception of herself, sure. like, I'm, I'm going to be the one that has a child. I, I don't know. But then later on, somehow maybe this same attitude has been passed down to her son Ishmael when he's 17 years old, and he's he's mocking Isaac for some reason. We don't know. I, Isaac's just a little child uh, at, at this point but it completely divided the family. And there's no other record beyond uh, uh, Hagar and Ishmael ever coming back together with, with their father, Abraham. They, maybe they did, but I, I, I believe the Bible's silent on this. They went to go uh, settle in the land of Arabia, and from them the Arabic peoples came. So this was a great division, what happened in Genesis chapter 21. Mm-hmm. Now let's uh, m- move on uh, to this Incredible Genesis yeah. chapter twenty-two, where we talk about um, Isaac and the sacrifice. This is uh, this is a very uh, challenging passage. Yeah, it's probably one of the most incredible chapters in the whole Bible, and I don't know if we'll be able to cover it enough in you know the five minutes we have left. But we can at least start. You know, there there's this command right at the beginning of Genesis twenty-two. Now, so they've had Isaac. Uh, Isaac is probably. Uh, 20 years old at this point. He's not a little, you know, two-year-old child. He's probably 20 years old. Hagar and Ishmael are gone now. And we open chapter 22 of Genesis in one of the most incredible statements in all of Scripture that keeps you, makes you scratch your head. Now, it came about after all these things we've been discussing that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah. And this is where the Temple Mount, by the way, is today. This is where he went to go sacrifice. There's huge significance to this. Moriah, Mount Moriah, is where the Temple Mount is in Jerusalem. And But it wasn't, no, it wasn't a Temple Mount then, of course. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. Wow. You know, just reading two verses there, you think, What? God is telling Abraham to go and sacrifice your son, your only son, the son that you love, uh, as a burnt offering? 
I mean, you might think this is a temptation, but it's actually not a temptation. It's a test. It's, a, it's going to be a test of Abraham's faith, and it's going to stretch him greatly, because since when does God—he never tempts us, the Bible says. He, does, he tests us for our sanctifying. But since when does God uh, tell us to do child sacrifice? Yeah, you know, right. this must have been completely uh, foreign to, to Abraham. He, you, you can't even imagine what he was thinking. But literally in the next verse, from verse 2 to verse 3, it says Abraham's response. It didn't doesn't show Abraham saying, well, why, God, or this can't be right. I must have heard this wrong or something. It just says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. I mean, well, it's amazing. I, I mean, maybe there, there possibly could have been, you know, a sleepless night or I, I don't know. But it doesn't the Bible doesn't communicate that. It's just God told him. And he said the next morning he got up and he was going to go do just as God had said. Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing. So it is. I mean, let's just keep in mind too that uh, you know again Isaac's not a he's not ten he's probably twenty right. He was t- about twenty years old at this point. He's a young man. So he's a young <laughs> man, and he is going along with the program with Dad, right? He is, and there's a reason why that there's not this, you know, 25 verses of Abraham uh, wrestling with God. By the way, Abraham was wrestling with God when, when God was going to go destroy Sodom. Remember that? He was negotiating with God because he didn't want Lot to be destroyed in Sodom. But here there's no negotiation. Right. And there's a reason why, I, I think, and, and the reason is given in the New Testament in, in Hebrews 11, this Hall of Faith chapter, it says, by faith Abraham is referring right back to this incident. When he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. And here's the reason why, Bill. Abraham considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. In other words, Abraham's response and why he did this was, well, I guess God, I'm going to sacrifice him, and then God's just going to raise him back to life. That's literally what he was thinking. He wasn't thinking, well, this is going to be end of the end of the Abrahamic covenant, which it would have been if mm-hmm. if Isaac had been gone. It wasn't a general son. It was Isaac specifically that these covenant promises were coming to, and that's why Isaac or Abraham got up in the next morning and went right away because he figured, well, the God I the God I know is a God of miracles. I'm going to be sacrificing Isaac, and somehow God's going to raise him from the dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, David, we did not leave enough time to talk about this thoroughly. Maybe we can start up next time we we um, meet and we can continue on this subject. It's so good. Good idea. Would love to, Bill. Thank you so much. David Wheaton has been my guest. You can go to thechristianworldview.org to learn more about David, of course. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, Pastor Adam Weber will be joining me. That's all ahead coming up next.
All right, we are back. We're back. Rebecca, I don't even know what's up next. Do you know what's up next? I do know what's up next. Would you like to know? um, Yeah, what's up next? (laughs) Our friend Adam Weber's on the phone line. Maybe we should talk to him. Come on, no. Yes. Are you serious? The Adam Weber. Huh. Uh, Well, I don't know if the check is cleared yet, so. Oh, well, I should have let him know before (laughs) I put him on hold. (laughs) So you actually have Adam Weber on hold right now. I do, at this very moment. Well, then I think it's absolutely necessity we talk to him. Might as well. He's here. Well, that there, there you go, Adam. Are you there? Yeah, I would. I would leave myself on hold if I were you guys. Just, just leave him on hold. Leave him on hold. <laughs> if we leave him on hold long enough, maybe he'll just hang up maybe. and give up or something. <laughs> maybe he'll get discouraged and just go away. He'll just go away. He'll just go away. Oh no, that's not the t- case at all. We're very excited to have you on the show, and I, I, I promise there is. Never been a more important time for us to start learning how to love more difficult people than right now. Yes, yes. I, uh, I think it is uh, more needed, at least than any time in my lifetime. Yeah, and I know we are talking about your new book. We're going to do it over, the, uh, over about four or five weeks because there's so much in it, and it's such a great reminder that we have to learn how to love uh, difficult people. Your book is not quite out yet, but it's called Love Has a Name, Learning to Love the Different, the Difficult, and Everyone Else. And you've done a beautiful job telling great stories in this book. And we want to hear more. We want to get, uh, we want to get equipped and ready and encouraged. And I know you're so good at that. Oh, well, I, I do my best. The, the, the book I'm super excited about, it tells the story of 27 different people plus one school that has shown me what love is all about combined with Jesus, who is the absolute best example when it comes to learning how to love somebody. So I, I am not an expert in this category, uh, but I follow the one who does in Jesus. So yeah. we, we look to him, not to this guy. And I think all of us, Adam, would say uh, loving others isn't easy all the time. It is, it's not an easy thing to do. I, uh, I Actually, as I wrote, read, read, read the book and wrote the book, uh, one of the things that I think makes Jesus so different than us is actually the way that he unconditionally loves people. Because uh, I know that in my own way of loving, I have strings attached. It's conditional. If you've wronged me once, I'm not going to let you wrong me again. And yet that's the complete opposite example of how Jesus shows us to love. And, and really, it comes down to—there's a bunch of different things we could talk about, but it really it comes down to, as followers of Jesus— being able to love other people out of his power, his strength, his love that gives us the ability to even think about loving the people around us. Because yeah. Jesus, he sets this example that's insane. I mean, basically he said anybody you can love a person who loves them in return. Anybody can love do that. that. I mean, anybody can do that, basically Jesus says. But then he sets all these bars of like, hey, how many times should we forgive? Like a couple of times? Oh, how about 70 times seven? Okay, right. that sounds impossible. And, and who should we love? Uh, everyone, including your enemies. It's like, okay, well, I'm not, I can't do that. And so, again, it, it comes down to relying on Jesus and needing Jesus to even attempt to love people in the way he calls us to do. Adam, let me ask you this. What about if we started by what we see in the mirror? What if we're the one that's hard to love? Hard to imagine, but what uh, if what if it, what if we are the ones that are hard to love? I actually the the last chapter I I share that the hardest person, and I think this is different for each of us. Some of us 
don't struggle in the confidence area. Some of us do struggle and are insecure and whatever. For me in my own life, the hardest person for me to love is the person in the mirror. Okay. I um at my parents' house, my parents are, are getting old. I feel like as I share this story, it dates them. They have this this mirror that is attached to the wall in their bathroom that you can it's like you can pull it out so it gets really close to your face and then it makes things <laughs> like ten times bigger. Yeah. Whoa, that's really a blackhead, isn't it? Yeah, like, oh, my gosh. And I'd love to say that when I pull it out and I look in this magnified mirror that I'm just in awe of how I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Like, he is so handsome. Holy cow. Oh, that's me. No, I'd I'd love to say that's how I, I look. But when I look in that mirror, I see every imperfection on my face. Right. And really, really, when I wake up, that's that's how I live. Without Jesus, all I do is see my shortcomings and regrets. I sat down with a close friend today, and he shared about a part of his life that he had never shared with me. And he said, for eight years, I was so covered in shame by my actions and my mistakes that I, I struggled to want anything to do with God because I was so sure that he wouldn't want to love me in return. Oh, and wow. I, I think, I think, I think that, that involves a lot of us. Actually, during this virus, I, I, right now, rates on pornography and marriage struggling and bad decisions um, are going up and to the right. And so I really feel like we're going to come out of this season of people covered in shame for different things. Wow. I didn't whether, think of that. Whether it's whether it's alcohol abuse or, again, kind of bringing to the surface some marriage problems that we have, uh, I just think that that involves a lot of us. And so how do, we, how do we begin to realize that we're the one Jesus loves? Our, our brother John, who wrote the book of John in the Bible, he referred to himself as the one that Jesus loves. And I'm like, I've never felt like I can refer to myself like that. And yet he knew it from experience of being with Jesus. And so how do, how do we begin to love ourselves? I think it starts with getting a proper understanding of who God says we are. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're not defined by our past, our mistakes from yesterday or from 20 years ago. We're not defined by our sales numbers right now, which anybody in sales away from a very few amount of places. If you're selling exercise equipment, you're doing well. If you're, you're selling, I heard puzzles right now are selling off the charts. If you're selling puzzles, mm-hmm. you're, doing, you're, doing, you're doing well. Mm-hmm. But a lot, of other sale, a lot of other sales are not doing well. And yeah. so it's easy to be blue right now because it's like, gosh, I'm, I'm not selling like I used to. We are not defined by those things. We're defined by who Jesus says we are. Right. And Adam, I know you wrote in the book, we, we can't love people if we can't truly see them. And we can't really see and know people without knowing their stories. Now, this shutdown time is giving us more opportunities to reach out and have conversations and hear people's stories. It is. It's, it's given us the opportunity to slow down in some ways. And that's so true. Anytime that we make a person nameless and we just kind of label them, whether you know, they're a conservative or a progressive or they're this or they're that or they're for masks or they're against masks or they're, they're concerned about the virus or they're not concerned about the virus. It's easy to treat people inhumanely when we don't see them as humans. But when we get to know their name and their story, that changes things. And, and what better time to get to know someone's story? That's exactly what I did with my friend today. We grabbed coffee. We sat away from each other. And I just said, I've never heard your story before. 
would you want to, would you be open? I said, I, I said four times, there's no pressure to do so. And he said, actually, I'd be honored to share my story. With wow. And, and he, you could tell, you could tell at the end, he felt so seen and cared for and, and loved. Mm. And people do like talking about themselves. Most often they're willing to, to say to someone who's willing to listen what their story is. Most, most people are. And I think, I think it's helpful to give the opt out of saying, Hey, no problem. If you don't want to share something like, Hey, that's gotta, you gotta be, um, I'd just love to hear your story. Like, tell me about your, your parents. What did they do? Right. Tell me about, tell me about school. Did you, where did you go after high school? Did you start working? And, and it's, it's actually pretty powerful for people to begin to share their stories because how often do we get the chance just to share a part of our story? And even in doing so, it was so cool. I didn't even get to the God part of things yet, and he began to share God with me. <laughs> he said, I'll, I'll, he, said I'll, he, he did a camping trip in college, and he said, I'll never forget, I went camping with a college friend of mine, and I woke up early one morning, and I was in the Tetons, and I looked out, and for the first time in my life, I began to think there has to be a God. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's incredible, you know? And even him, you could just see it, like it stoked his own walk with Jesus of just remembering his own story. Yes. Now, Adam, you reaching out to him and asking him for his story is you giving him a little love and action, and you're turning the day into an adventure, aren't you? It definitely turns it into an adventure. And just just hearing their story, his story, and I even think about another neighbor of mine. There's a, a, a kid on my block named Dwight. And I've just, over the last couple of years, he's an eighth grader. I've just gotten to know him a little bit more. And um, he's an African-American fellow, and he's the coolest cat on the planet. Um, and yet, just, you know, different than me, just began to ask him about his story. And just hearing him share bits and pieces of it, um, even just what our country is going through right now, just asking him to share from his perspective. And you can just see him being like, you can just see it on his face. Like you care about what I feel and you care about who I am and what I'm walking through. And um, one of the coolest things about him is it's allowed me to begin to speak in his life and really see the aspects of God's call on his life that he maybe can't see in himself. I've told him so many times, I'm like, Dwight, you're a leader that other people are going to follow and I just know that God has an amazing plan for, for your life. Hmm. But talk, talk, talking about an adventure with him, it's just been so cool just to see, even from the two of our relationships, of, of what God's done. Um, I got a basketball hoop for him. Um, I don't know if I've shared the story with you or not. Have I shared a basketball hoop story with you? No. Does that make sense? So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this really, really quick. So this is two summers ago. I'm driving out. I didn't know who Dwight was. They had just moved onto our block. I'm going out of my driveway, and I'm, I'm, him and his friend are shooting hoops. So I roll my window down, and I say, nice hoop. And I actually didn't look at the hoop itself. And his friend, <laughs> his, his, friend his friend, got sassy with me, and he said, why don't you get us a new hoop? You know, and like, no, like, would you please get us a new hoop or – no kindness. Again, Dwight didn't say a word. I didn't know who Dwight was, but his friend sassed me. Yeah. And so I kind of wa- I waved. I got to the end of the driveway, and as clear as can be, I heard God say, almost with the same sass that his friend said it. He said, uh, <laughs> "He said, why don't you get him a hoop?" Yeah. And that's what I heard from God, and I'm like, because I don't want to get him a hoop. 
<laughs> so between there and my office, the entire time I'm hearing guy with a sass tone, why don't you get him a hoop? Right. Why don't you get him a hoop? And I'm like, because I need to work on a sermon for church. Like, that's a pretty good reason, God. Yeah. Why don't you get him a hoop? Why don't you get a hoop? So I, I've, I've learned to start telling friends, like a close friend, anytime I feel like God wants me to do something. Because once I tell one person, then I can't get out of it anymore. I so I told, I, told a fr- I told a friend, I said, I feel like I'm supposed to get a hoop for this, this neighbor kid. And he's like, well, it sounds like you're getting a hoop for, your, for the neighbor kid. And I'm like, oh, okay, thank you. I thought you were going to give me an excuse out. And he's like, nope. So I ended up, I I posted on Facebook and just said, hey, there's a family, there's an eighth grader. I think he could really use a hoop. His hoop's really busted up. Within a matter of minutes, I had a single mom from my church reach out and say, hey, my my son is no longer using a hoop. It's brand new. You can have it. I'm like, awesome. A A guy from my church reaches out whose son has been battling leukemia, and he said, hey, I have a pickup. And people have done so much for me. I'd love to do something nice for somebody else. So do you need that hoop move from one place to the next? I was like, I'd love that. And then a minute later, I had a local basketball coach reach out and say, hey, how many, how many like, people are in, like, in the family? And I said, well, I know of two of them. And he's like, okay, I'll drop off basketballs, uh, gear from the high school here, and gym bags and dirt, like all this stuff. And I'm like, perfect. So I stop, I stop by the house. I knock on the door. I've never talked to anybody at this house before. The mom kind of comes out kind of quiet, you know, it, probably expecting me to say like, Hey, your kid is doing causing trouble or whatever. And I said, Hey, do you have a son that is here? I think his name's Dwight. And she's like, I do. And I'm like, Oh, awesome. Uh, tomorrow we're going to drop off a new hoop, basketballs, gym stuff, all this kind of thing. The only stipulation, uh, the hoop and everything uh, it came from you. It didn't come from us. And she went from being defensive to overwhelmed. She's like, why are you doing this? And I was like, it's a long story. I actually didn't feel like I had a choice. <laughs> like I, was, I didn't want to weird her out and basically say, God wouldn't give me an option. I right. didn't want to do this, but God forced me to. And um, so she's like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, again, I just, God's done so much for me. I just felt like whatever. And I'm like, it's just me and some friends. I actually didn't even buy the hoops. You can't even thank me. I'm just kind of lining it up. And so the next day came and um, dropped off the hoop. The guy who dropped off the hoop just said, seriously, so many people have blessed us. I just wanted to bless somebody else. This means the world. Every person that was a part of it felt so grateful and uh, Dwight, I, I, if if for if he played for five minutes and never touched the hoop again, I, it would have been worth it all. One one thing I'd encourage anybody listening: do not give people things or serve people or love people with strings attached, because then it's no longer love. Mm. Don't do it to get noticed. Don't do it to get in a paper. Don't get it. Do it because then it ruins the whole thing. Instead, Jesus talks about when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And um, do it pointing to God. Do it um, helping somebody else, making somebody else a hero instead of yourself. So even if Dwight would have never played a day, it was like, God, that's that's not on me. You're the one who told me to get the soup. Dwight is back there playing basketball two years later on it almost every single day. And I I really see it as something that God is going to use in his life just to encourage him in some wonderful ways. But it turned – it went from me being – focused on my agenda and my priorities for the day, turn it into an adventure. And now um, it's turned into one of the neatest relationships and friendships that I have in my life. Uh, 
Adam, the story makes me so happy. It just is a great story. But I do have to take a little break. Adam Weber is my guest. He's the lead pastor of Embrace in Sioux Falls. We'll be right back talking about his uh, latest book that's coming out. I'm excited for when it comes out, uh, but it's uh, coming out next month. Love has a name. We'll be right back. pastor of Embrace in Sioux Falls. I'm excited about his new book. I haven't had it yet in my hands because it's not out yet, but it's called Love is a Name, and it's filled with a lot of great stories, much like the one you just heard about Dwight, because I I think when you hear those stories, you just, it, they're so inspiring, and they make everybody feel good, and you think, boy, we've really moved the needle with Dwight and his family in a very significant way for Christ. And I think he's still there. I'm still here. <laughs> oh, yeah. good. Good. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I was just making a comment. It wasn't really a question, but I mean, when you is, is he still is he still on hold? Is that guy still on hold? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking uh, maybe he hung up. Maybe he took me up on it. <laughs> no, no. What I want to say, what I want to say from what you just said. So I, these stories, a lot of times I hear stories that other people are doing, and I'm like, I could never do that. Yes. You know, that's awesome. He's a pastor. He he has a book. I'm not. I'm a mechanic. I'm a right. teacher. I'm a banker. And so I think it's so easy to get discouraged. And yet my hope through the book, but more importantly than that, throughout life, it's the simplest things that make the biggest impact. And so what I, what I want people to hear is it doesn't have to be a basketball hoop and all of a sudden the basketball coach gets involved. It might just be as simple as listening to the person in your office that is kind of high maintenance that everyone else kind of avoids. We know who that person is. It might just simply be listening to them. It, it might just be when you're getting coffee in the morning, you know, here's my change. I know exactly how much it is. My, my coffee drink at Starbucks is $3.17. That's embarrassing that I know that. It's true. And so, and so it'd be easy just to be like, here's my money, here's my whatever. And yet every time I drop coffee off, I always, even if it's just a second, I don't want to hold up the line, even if it's just for a second, I ask the person, how are you doing? Or, uh, you know, do you have plans for the weekend? Or uh, what are you excited about? Or noticing something. Gosh, I really like your shirt. Like, that's just a really, just <laughs> noticing uh-huh. something. And all of a sudden, it's like, for a moment, that person is no longer a robot that has got a bunch of people upset with them because they got their coffee slightly wrong. They're a human being. And so sometimes it's the simplest things. We don't have to necessarily go on a trip around the world. Thankfully, actually, well, right now we can't take a trip around the world, but we don't need to take a trip around the world to make an impact for Jesus. Oftentimes, it starts with the person that we already know, our neighbor, our coworker, our friend, our family member. Mm-hmm. And if you offer just a small measure of, of a personal gesture of kindness, it really sticks with people. I, I had a breakfast sandwich delivered to my car yesterday, which I felt a little spoiled having done, but... He brought it out, and I said, I appreciate it, but I really appreciate you. And he stopped and went, well, no one's ever said that to me before. Yeah, it's the the simplest things. 
make the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. Again, who, who, who knows what he's walking through? Right. Who knows how he's, he's been treated by somebody else in the day? Even to some of the things he's thinking about, maybe he's struggling with depression or he's struggling with addiction. Even that and the things we think, oh, there's probably a few people who are. I, I would argue most people are struggling with something. Oh, and, amen. And, and so just, just taking the time to notice somebody makes the biggest impact. And even just asking someone, how, like, how are you doing really? And, and if there's a, a, a simple way to follow up. Even um, um, a few months back, there, uh, one of the ladies at Starbucks, she took my order um, and got it kind of slightly wrong and actually noticed it. And I, I kind of waited a little extra and um, then longer and to the point that they're like, hey, I'm so sorry. We're going to cover this drink because it was so – and I didn't even say a word. But I was just like, they treated me so well, even in the spite of drop, dropping the ball on some things. And so I looked at her name keg really quick. And I wrote down her name on my phone and I got back to my office and I just wrote her a note and said, you treated me so kindly. Mm. And the next time, the next time I came through, she was beaming when she saw me. I bet. And just said, thank you so much. And I'm like, no, like, thank you. You were so kind to me that day. And I was kind of struggling that morning. And it just meant a lot that you noticed me. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, it meant a lot that you noticed me and the work I like I do I really have pride in what I do and I felt like I dropped the ball and was kind of embarrassed and and so it turned this this awkward moment maybe for her into this cool moment that she'll never forget it was just so simple it cost a stamp and five seconds of my time just to say thank you right Adam talk about why love is more than a theory Love is more than a theory. Yes. So uh, one of the things that I've noticed about followers of Jesus, myself included, so I'm not not pointing fingers here, the longer we follow Jesus, oftentimes the cleaner and safer and more stale our life becomes, like sanitized, like we we follow Jesus and we no longer hang out with messy people. Everybody kind of thinks like, like us and you know, like everybody loves Jesus, and it just kind of, it seems like the longer we follow Jesus, the more cleaner and safer our life becomes. And if, and if anybody is annoying, like a neighbor of ours, thankfully, we can drive into our, our, our garage and close our garage door behind us before we even turn our car off. You know, it's like, it's so easy to mm-hmm. listen. We, we love Jesus, and then we don't <laughs> want to deal with anybody else, you know? Yeah. When the opposite, the opposite should be true. The longer we follow Jesus, the messier our life should look as far as like hanging out with like the person who's had an affair, like that they all of a sudden start coming to us. Hey, I've made a mistake. Would you pray for my, my marriage? Um, all of a sudden we start finding ourselves talking to people and we don't know the right answers. It's like, I don't know what to say to this person. I've never struggled with that before. And we start finding ourselves in places that I, I, I would argue Jesus found himself in. And, um, and so, again, like, it seems like we talk a lot about loving Jesus and loving other people. And then we kind of go into our closed-off, safe little lives when the opposite should be true. It's like uh, Jesus once said, people will know your love for me by the way you love one another. And, again, not just people who love you, but people who walk away from you, people who are unpopular, people who society kind of looks past. And so for me, it's like, I want my life to reflect Jesus. Um, you know, is there, Jesus often hung out with people who 
uh, he'd get in trouble for hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pharisees, the religious people would say, why are you eating with sinners? And I, oftentimes I've wondered, could anyone, could anyone in my life accuse me of the same? Like, is, is there anybody who could say, like, do you know who Adam hangs out with? Like, he hangs out with that guy. Like, that guy, he's not a Christian. This <laughs> guy over here, he doesn't even believe in God. And I guess him and Adam are friends. Now, obviously, we need to be wise. If we struggle uh, with, with alcohol, we, it might be wise for us to have some boundaries right. when it comes to, hey, I, I can't go to a bar and try to minister there because I struggle with alcohol. So, again, we need to be wise. Uh, people of the opposite sex, uh, if you're married, I would say to be wise and putting yourself in certain, certain situations. Obviously right. that. But could anybody accuse you of hanging out with a messy person? I if love the answer is no. If the answer is no, we might want to consider that. Yeah, I love that, Adam. The better we love, the more we love, the messier it's going to be. That's a great takeaway for today. The messier it's going to be. Yeah. Look forward to our talk next week. I'd like you to just stay on hold until next week. That sounds good. <laughs> I'll be here. I'll be here. You, <laughs> four o'clock in the morning. I'll be ready. All right. Thanks, Adam. Have a great rest <laughs> of the day. You. Adam Weber's been my you guest. Lead pastor of Embrace out of Sioux Falls. We'll take a little break. When we come back, we're going to do our salvation series. It resumes in about four minutes. Can't wait. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.